0: If you had been told all through your childhood that people outside of your faith are plotting to hurt you, you might just feel safer sticking close to people who believe just like you do, even if you knew that at least some of what you were being taught is wrong. Would you have the courage to leave it all behind, have your family and friends disown you, and become, in the words of men like Warren Jeffs, an apostate? You made a great decision to be here to investigate just how hard it would be to break free from a cult like the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm your host, Private Investigator Lori Morrison. Let's tackle this story from the world of true crime and see what kind of spiritual and safety takeaways we can find there. I believe that it's every Christian's calling to be what I call a different kind of PI, a person of impact. So stick around because we're going to talk about a practical way to do just that. This is season four, episode 11. And our book this week is The Witness War Red by Rebecca Musser. She's an author, activist, mom, and she was the 19th wife of Rulon Jeffs, Warren Jeffs' father. We'll be doing a three-part deep dive on this case because there are just so many great takeaways from Rebecca's story. FLDS leader Warren Jeffs is serving a life sentence in Utah for his crimes against children. Rebecca Musser testified against him, sharing her story and helping prosecutors win 11 convictions against the cult leader. As the wife of a former prophet, Rebecca has credibility and an unbelievable amount of firsthand knowledge of the inner workings of this cult. One day when she was testifying, she wore a sleeveless red dress. Jeff's had banned all church members from wearing what he considered a worldly and sinful color, but she had left that cult. Now, to them, she was worse than a Gentile or outsider. It in Warren Jeff's eyes and the eyes of the faithful who still followed him, She was an apostate, someone who knew the truth and rejected it. Rebecca knew the truth, all right. And that's what landed Warren Jeffs in prison. I think it'll really be difficult for most of us to wrap our heads around this story, but there are so many lessons that we can learn here and really things that we need to be opening our eyes to. Hang with me for a while and we'll see what all we can uncover. Rebecca's father and his first wife, Irene, had been mainstream Mormons until they converted to what they called the true gospel, which included plural marriage, and her father soon felt called to take a second wife. Irene gave him her blessing. He married the woman who would give birth to Rebecca and 13 other children. Irene gave him nine children, and later he added a third wife who would give him two more. Rebecca's dad thought that this would give him eternal salvation in the highest level of heaven, because that's what the FLDS taught. It certainly didn't give him much peace on earth. I was surprised that Rebecca got to go to public school for her early elementary years. Later, she would attend the church's Alta Academy, and it only included other FLDS kids, and it was run by Warren Jeffs. The pressure to excel in religious classes was really, really intense, because as Rebecca put it, a low-grade test score meant you had a low-grade testimony of God. Warren was obsessed with teaching purity lessons, which is pretty ironic, considering that he ended up in prison for molesting children. But his father was the prophet, so Warren got to do what he wanted. Irene quickly tired of the idea that her husband's time and affections had to be shared. She mistreated any child that wasn't hers and turned a blind eye when any of her children tormented their half-siblings. When Irene's favorite son molested Rebecca, Irene beat her up and let him go unpunished. You might be wondering, I'm sure, why didn't Rebecca's mother just leave? In the FLDS church, Girls studied just enough English science and math to be able to navigate recipes and work in one of the cult's factories or businesses. Being able to take care of themselves and their children outside of the culture that they knew was just too overwhelming for many of them to even consider. And added to that was the fact that their group taught them that their eternal salvation depended on their husband. Leaving to them meant risking eternal damnation. And while they were still here on earth, they would be cut off from any family that didn't leave with them. As Rebecca became a teenager, the men around her started seeing her not as a child, but in her words, as an option. She had new classes in school to learn how to be the perfect FLDS wife. Oddly, these were taught by Warren Jeffs and included instructions to, quote, keep sweet, never complain. And always let your husband rule the home. The best you could hope for was to be a first wife. So then at least you'd have a little bit of time when it was just you and your husband. And that was only good if you actually liked your husband. Rebecca wouldn't get to choose who she married. The prophet would choose for her once God made it clear to him which couples should be together. Once Rebecca turned 18 and had graduated from Alta Academy, she returned as a teacher. And she really enjoyed it. But as the school year was winding down, Warren, who was the principal there, told her she needed to check in with the prophet. And her heart sank because she knew exactly what that meant. It was time for him to choose a husband for her. He chose himself, even though he was four times her age. At the age of 19, Rebecca would become the prophet Rulon Jeff's 19th wife. He was already married to several of her relatives, including her older sister. Rebecca's father hoped that by giving the prophet two of his daughters for wives, in turn, he would get his coveted third wife. When Rebecca and Rulan had been married for all of five days, he announced that he would be getting two more wives, a pair of sisters. Over the next seven years, he would wed 46 new wives. Of course, Rulon said that it was all because God had told him that this was right. I'm thinking that if it were true, God might have told the women as well. But cults just don't work like that. Trying to find a purpose that would give her life some meaning, Rebecca threw herself into her teaching, devoting herself to her students. She did everything she could to praise and love children who, like her, were just a number in their overwhelmingly large families. She was seeing that in her own family, as her father did get that long-awaited third wife. That woman was the cause of Rebecca's own brothers being pushed out of the cult and for others to seriously rebel, risking the same fate. Rebecca knew that 90% of kids pushed out of the cult turned to drugs, alcohol, promiscuity, and even prostitution just to survive in a world that they had no idea how to navigate. The cult's reaction was swift. Rebecca's father had his wives and children taken from him for a time. And as is usually the case in any kind of family upheaval, it's always the children who suffer the most. Rebecca dreaded the nights she was required to spend with her husband, who was older than her own grandfather. When she tried to say no to his advances, she would be lectured by Rulon's son, Warren. Now picture this, try to imagine how you might feel If you knew that your husband was discussing your sex life with his son so that his son would then browbeat you into submission, it wouldn't matter for long. Even though Rulon taught his followers that he would live for 150 years, at the age of 89, he suffered a massive stroke. Warren made sure that none of his father's wives let anyone know what was going on. Then he quietly took over most of the day-to-day responsibilities of running the cult from his father. The prophet was still alive, but he was no longer in charge. Next week, we're going to dive deep into Warren's takeover of the cult. But don't go anywhere yet, because we're going to be unpacking Acts 15, verses 6 through 11 in just a minute. Cults have always fascinated me, whether it's a book about them, a podcast, a documentary. Now, from the outside looking in, It's so easy to wonder how people could believe some of what we are seeing as being very outrageous teachings. Now, some people, of course, are born into these teachings and they don't know anything else. Others, they might be searching for some sort of meaning or fulfillment or a community that will accept them. And they are willing to go along with these teachings that are contrary to scripture. They might not even know that they're contrary to scripture. So, as believers, Instead of shunning people who seem different from us or they're seeking something, we need to engage with them. Now, if you have not seen the movie Jesus Revolution yet, I highly recommend that you go do that. It, it does such a fantastic job of portraying a clash of cultures that could have been an absolute disaster, but because of a handful of people who were willing to look past external differences they were able to share the love of God and change people's lives. It's really, really worth your time. Now let's go back and look at Paul's words. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. This idea of turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all, is so relevant when we're studying cults. With the FLDS, it's very obvious that their teaching adds to and even contradicts the Bible. But what if we suspect that our church or a Bible study we attend or something that we see a friend getting involved with, what if we see them straying from scripture? I think the first thing to do is check what's being taught against the word of God. Make sure that we're correct in what we think is happening. When Paul wrote his second letter to the church in Corinth, he warned them to be on guard against people who were not only treating them terribly, but also teaching a different gospel. That's exactly what the FLDS leaders were doing in this case. And if we aren't careful, we can fall victims to the same type of scam. And yes, it is a scam. Sometimes these false teachers, they end up believing their own hype. But a lot of times it starts out whether they're trying to get money from people or they just like controlling people. They're running a scam. A lot of times they know it. Even in a scripturally based church, things can get a little off the mark. That's what most of Paul's letters were all about. But when we know the word for ourselves, we can more easily spot when a teaching misses the mark. And if you run into something like that, I would say, ask that person if you can share your viewpoint on the particular teaching with them. If they refuse, then you probably need to contact your church's leadership. If they agree with that false teaching, or if they refuse to confront the error because the teacher is a popular one, then it may be time to find another church. And I know that can be so very hard. You've got friends there. Maybe your family goes there. But it's very important to have humble leaders who value biblical truth. Now, if you're listening and you've dealt with a situation like this, I would love to hear from you and learn how you handled it and how everything turned out. Please shoot me an email at laurie.com. At theunlovelytruth.com. That's L O R I at theunlovelytruth.com. You can also message me on social media. And I've put all the ways that you can contact me in the show notes. So I really hope that you'll reach out and we can start a conversation. If you like this episode, be sure to check out some earlier ones. I put some other links in the show notes to, to some that kind of relate to today's topic. I've been so fortunate to have amazing guests that have great insights, great information, and I want you to make sure you don't miss them. You can also help the podcast grow when you share this episode and when you subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Give me a five-star rating and a nice review. The Unlovely Truth is written and produced by me, Lori Morrison. Music is by Neocortex, Cortex, and the artwork is by Shelby Highland. Don't forget... We're continuing this case next week, so you won't want to miss it. See you then. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app.